going on? Hello, Miff. Hello, Zan. Happy launch week of your brand new television series. Oh, it thank was you. amazing. Noel Gallagher, night. so good. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. You. It was beautiful. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks for watching. Thanks to everyone who watched. I got lots of lovely messages and little comments on socials. And I'm just, you would know this when you make something and you spend a long time making it, and there's a lot that goes into it, a lot of decisions made. All you can do at a certain point is sit back and go, I hope they like it. And so I was so nervous. I had the full, like, people turn up to my party anxiety vibes going on, which I think I mentioned last week. But people turned up, people watched it, and they loved it. And um, I was just stoked that, yeah, people got something new out of Noel Gallagher as well because he's kind of a combative character. He is a bit divisive, but I think that people saw something new and old Noel um, through the songs Absolutely. that he chose. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's the beauty of Take 5, isn't it, that the songs that they choose can actually open a portal into another world that perhaps they haven't shown everyone before, and I love that. Also, people just like rediscovering Air's Moon Safari record and All oh, I Need. Such like, a good record. Because that was Great one of the songs song. that I was like, why has he chosen this? Everything else yeah. I could trace a line to, but I was like, why has he chosen this? And it was beautiful to hear him speak about that. So thanks, babes. Thanks for watching. Yeah, it was beautiful. Bang On is your place for music, art, life and stuff. And we are, I think, fair to say here for you this week because it has been a really tough week across the world in so many different ways here in Australia. It is an intense time. Just wanted to throw our big bang on arms around the Bang Fam and show you lots of love if you're feeling the stress, anxiety, pain, sadness, anger, any of it this week. Um, We hear you, we see you and and we're here to, I guess, you know, bring some light into your world. But there was also a really sad and shocking loss that we heard about yesterday. And Miff, I know that you knew Cal Wilson. I texted you um, straight away when I heard the news. Just such a sad and, yeah, shocking loss of an, an incredible comedian and human. Yeah, what an incredible woman she was, you know. She was loved by everyone and, and I think in comedy that's not an easy position to hold to be loved by everybody but she was loved because she was really generous to everybody gave everyone time she helped people coming up through the scene she was just just a gorgeous person to be around like people were saying you know if Carl Wilson was on the bill we we knew it was going to be a good time because she gave everything to to every moment that she was involved in and yeah it's really sad she was on Spicks and Specs so many times Mm. such a huge part of the family huge part of the family and will be so terribly missed. Um, all my love to her family and her beautiful cats, who she loved so much. She was one of us, mad cat lady. And um, yeah, it's it's just an utter tragedy. And she's way too young. So uh, yeah, it's been a, a rough couple of days for for everybody. Uh, with that on top of it, and from it, all I can say is, you know, uh, Felicity Ward, comedian, said it. Call your friends mm. and tell them. Tell them you love them, you know, because it was all very shocking and very sudden. Yeah. Um, thoughts with everyone. I know that you and I, and of course, obviously you knew Cal, the ripple effect through the comedy community, particularly mm. in, um, in Melbourne where it's particularly strong. I just know so many people personally who were friends with Cal and it just seemed like her her effects, her love um, and her generosity just reached so many people. So for any Bang fam who are feeling that loss quite personally, we, um, we are really, really sorry. And I'm sorry for your loss as well, Miff. It's just oh. bloody awful. Yeah, awful and tragic. 
I feel like Cal would have loved Fat Bear Week, though. And can we just... She would have loved <laughs> Fat Bear Week because that's the thing. She, she just loved a, a lot of things that I loved and, and we got along really well on those levels. And she was also really clever and really smart and really funny too. So, you know, one of a kind. And, yes, Fat Bear Week would have been right up her <laughs> as it is mine. Uh, good to see that we have a winner. We have a we, winner. Dan? Yes, as forecast. What was it, Fat Tuesday? That's when they were going to be revealing the winner a couple of days ago. And the winner is indeed Grazer, the mm. female bear who embraced singledom to concentrate on herself and gain weight. <laughs> she got a majority of the public's votes, 108,321 votes compared with Chunk, which was her nearest mm. competitor, at 23,000. So she absolutely blitzed the competition. Oh, um, and look and looking at the images of her, she deserved it one hundred percent. She she didn't have any babies this year, so she had time to dedicate herself to the glow up, which was just basically eating and living her best life. The best angler um, on the river, according to the park ranger. Yeah, it killed it on the salmon. It's interesting though, you know, she didn't have any mouths to feed this year, but still went in extremely hard. So I I give her I give her full props for, for taking away the competition. She looked incredible. And the comments going around on the internet have just been beautiful. People are saying on TikTok they're calling her the people's princess. Of course she is. She's having she had her best glow up. Um finally my girl has her crown. A landslide victory to the Queen. It was the year of the Barbie movie, and then this—it's just women, <laughs> just women conflating up, those two huge pop culture moments. Sure, yeah, women coming up on top. Twenty twenty three. Can I just give a shout out to the runner-up chunk though, uh, because yes. there was another great. There's so many great quotes in this article, which I will put a link to in the show notes. Uh, whoever the ABC journal was on shift that day, it was I reckon the best day of his year. Park Ranger Felicia Jimenez said that Chunk, the big boy, still managed to get fat for winter despite already being a massive, massive bear. So he's chonked up, Chunk is chonked up, and he's reached the highest of the highs, but he's no match for Grazer, who is the winner of Fat Bear Week. And it is my new favourite week. Bang On has become your bear podcast, it seems, in so many Mm. ways, uh, and we love to hear it and celebrate it. Who knew that when I talked about avoiding bears in Japan, that we would follow this trail down to Fat Bear Week. Oh, it's it's the best kind of trail. And <laughs> I, th- I think we can all take a, a lesson or two from, from Grazer, who is, <laughs> I mean, that's just how we want to be, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Looking after number one, getting a glow up, having a great sleep at the end of it's it. It's called self-care. Ever heard of it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, if while we're on animals, because we do seem to talk a lot about animals, can we just take a moment to acknowledge the many, many emails that have come through to the bang box on the news of the peregrine falcons, the famous peregrine falcons at the top end of Collins Street, which you love so much. What's the latest yep. news that we have on these oh, birds? Very sad news. Looks like mum had a bit of an accident or maybe was fighting, defending her territory because apparently that where they have their nest, that is much desired territory in the peregrine falcon world. I can see why. Top of the town uh, on Collins Street. It's a hot address. Um, but it's yeah, the penthouse. It is the penthouse suite. And yeah, sadly, it looks like she's had a some sort of altercation and she, she wasn't well. And so she didn't keep fertilising the eggs at a, at a very pivotal time in their development. And... The fella 
Bird stepped up, M22 we call him. Um, he stepped up and apparently was even sitting on the eggs at night, which is very, very rare for a male peregrine falcon to do. And he tried his hardest, but she was a bit dazed and confused and didn't sit on the nest, which is very sad. Apparently she's looking a lot better now, but the powers that be have decided that the birds are not going to be, well, the eggs are not viable this year because they just spent too long being un- uncovered. And so... No little chicks this year, but good news is we still have the falcons in Perth. Their eggs are on the way and we've got the ones in Orange in New South Wales who apparently there are, there are a couple of chicks there. So I've logged in, but they haven't let me in yet to the group <laughs> on Facebook. And I'm uh, hurry up, hurry up, I need this. They haven't approved you. It's a private group and they haven't approved you. <laughs> I can't believe it. I think they've just got an onslaught of Melbourneites who've been watching ours and then just went, oh, ours. Need my peregrine falcon fix. I do. I do. I love that there's a franchise now. This is the new reality TV. There's spin-offs. First you heard of the peregrine falcons on Collins Street. Now you've got them in Perth. They're in orange. They're everywhere. It's building. People love this. They do love this. And I think it is because it is reality TV played out in nature and, and that is a a whole world that we can have an opinion on but we can't necessarily influence in any way and bringing our human needs and human thoughts and none of that actually counts in their world. And the lack of control and the ability to learn from these animals I I think is a good thing. It's a good thing that we can put ourselves into at this point in time because, you know, when everything gets really overwhelming, which it has been this week, I think, put yourself in nature. That was Somebody said that once and I'm like, yeah. Put yourself that actually in nature. Helps. Put yourself in nature and remember. Or put yourself in a gallery and gaffer tape a banana to the wall. Have you heard the we news? We love this. The we famous gaffer taped banana titled Comedian, which I think from mm. memory we've spoken about before. It's by an Italian conceptual artist, Maurizio Catalan. It is worth $180,000. It is on loan to the NGV and the banana gaffer taped to a wall will be coming to Melbourne. (laughs) Will it be a Melbourne banana? I assume so. Uh, In December for the NGV triennial. And this is big news and a great headline grabber, isn't it? Because everyone wants to talk about this gaffer banana. Well, I can't work out how it is one of three. Like, what part of it is original if the banana comes from Victoria? And we haven't discussed whether it'll be a ladyfinger or just a regular cold, <laughs> you know, El Chifo. Um What's the bend? What's the yeah, bend like what, in the what banana? What part of it have they brought in? What, yeah, what part of it? It's conceptual the gaffer tape, art. Is it, is it the gaffer tape, though, that's, is, because that wouldn't even stick a banana up on the wall if it's been used numerous times. Someone's bit... gone to Coles and Bunnings and they've sorted it out and then they're trotting down to the NGV and there they go. <laughs> But it's actually like oh. this starts conversations, doesn't it? And this is the point mm. of, of art when it was – do you remember? Maybe this is when we talked about it. In May, this was being shown in Seoul in Korea and a South Korean art student ate the banana, just yeah. took it off the wall, saying he was a bit hungry because he'd skipped breakfast. And afterwards he ate it and then just peeled back the gaffer and stuck the banana peel back on the wall, which I love. In the videos posted online, shouts of, excuse me, can be heard – he doesn't respond and he just starts eating the banana. <laughs> well, then that, that the art becomes the performance art again. Like it gives it a whole new layer. He knew what and he was I'm doing. Sh- he knew exactly what he was doing. And, and I don't think the artist would be necessarily upset about that because the whole point of the banana gaffer taped onto the gallery wall is to, well, talk about ideas of value in, in art, the role of art in popular culture, 
you know, what's valuable in the art world. If something is so ephemeral as a, you know, a, a banana that rots, then how come there are only three of them in this world and how come we call this art because it's made by an artist? Like, I think there's lots of really interesting questions that have been raised by this particular work. It's not a new way of doing art. I no. mean, we've, we've, got, we've got Jeff Coons who's been doing this sort of stuff too, you know, like he did a lot of the that porcelain Michael Jackson work and, and images of him and his partner uh, engaged in, in sex acts uh, in porcelain as well and that big puppy that is made out of flowers that you see. I think it's at the entrance of Bilbao, um, the Guggenheim at Bilbao in Spain. So... There's always been that tendency, I mean, it goes way back to Marcel Duchamp, who was one of the great data artists, who made the um, a urinal called Fountain and put that in an art exhibition or a competition as an artwork. And that, that's many, many, you know, over 100 years ago now. Uh, an incredible concept at the time, which really threw people. Anything can be art and anything can be a point of discussion. It just depends on the context and the value that you ascribe to that object. And, yeah, I kind of love this because people are like bananas. They're no, nothing. There's nothing in this. There's literally, you know, you can go and buy one from the shop. What's What's the art? But the art is... The choosing, I think, the choosing mm. to stick it up there and the knowing that people will talk about it and, and you know, maybe laugh about it, bring a bit of sense of humour back into into the visual art world at a time when we probably need it. I'm, I'm into it. I'm, I'm definitely into it. I don't think I'll be going to steal it off the wall, but... Um, well, but yeah, this is into adding to all the questions. Because I hate is, bananas. Hate <laughs> bananas. Who will eat the nani? That's my <laughs> question. Who will be the first to eat the nani? And will there be yeah. a security guard position to stop it or do they want people to eat the nani? Because it's getting replaced know. every three days every no matter three what. Days. So yeah. who's going to smash that nani and will there be multiple nanis eaten from the wall of the NGV in December? <laughs> I should hope so. They're the only questions Although, I have, Miff. Bananas are disgusting. Let's just I be honest. I didn't know that you were anti-banana. I hate bananas. I've always hated bananas. Interesting. Yeah, they smell. <laughs> the te- it's a texture thing. Like, I get it. I can have a Barney banana, icy pole. The flavour of banana in an icy pole is okay. What about banana, banana lollies? Banana lollies, fine. Okay. Give me sweet sugared banana. That's fine. And fake banana, but yeah, no, not... Not the real banana, not that rotting kind of... <laughs> I just can't. I just can't. I'm not alone in this. Other people hate bananas No, too. I know people who've got real fears of bananas. Yeah. It's a really specific fruit fear. It's interesting. Mm. I used to have co-workers who would put their old banana skins in my bin in the hope that I wouldn't notice and would just start smelling. That's bullying. Just to piss me off. Yeah, I know. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> Have you heard that Frasier, the 90s slash noughties sitcom, which I did actually love, I used to love Frasier, which when you rewatch it, you're like, oh, there's some questionable things going on here. Oh, yeah. It's being rebooted. The original ran from 93 to 2004, and this week on Paramount Plus, they rebooted it with a couple of new episodes. Not only is it a reboot, but they've completely recreated the the fabric of a 90s sitcom. So they've got that whole setup. They've got a live studio audience. Um, they don't have any Jane Leaves or David Hyde Pierce, who were Daphne and Niles. Mm. They decided not to return. In case you missed it, John Mahoney, who played Martin Crane, the dad, died a couple of years ago. 
And, of course, Eddie the dog that was played by two dogs um, also yeah. passed away. But Kelsey Grammer is is Frasier and he's in it. He's back in Boston, which was the site of Cheers, which is where it all began, where the Frasier spin-off begins. And, again, when I'm looking at this, I'm like, why? <laughs> and I know why because <laughs> nostalgia sells and because new ideas are harder to get off the ground in this glut of content that we have where people have to make decisions. But it's kind of getting mixed reviews online. People are sort of saying that the puns are very dated and the sort of setup. It's it's one thing to make a reboot, but to totally recreate it in a style of television that is just not made anymore, I think is a really interesting choice. Well, that's the thing that I was wondering about, whether or not it would just look dated by very nature of the format in which it's recorded. The sitcom format feels like something that just doesn't really fly anymore. Like mm. you, you watch an episode of Friends and you're like, oh. It's a bit naff. Geez, it's clunky and it's naff and you wonder if it's going to feel the same way watching Frasier or if you just settle back into that same feeling as you do when you watch it on, you know, 10 Peach or whatever on, on those, those B channels, whether it's got that same vibe. I don't know. I don't know. It just feels like television's moved so far forward from that particular format. I, I just... I don't know. I can't see how it could be quite as engaging. But, but look, I'm prepared to give it a go. Prepared. What about you? Are you going to give it a go? No. <laughs> no. No time. I don't have Paramount Plus. I've got all the other streaming services. Yeah. But there's not enough on Paramount Plus to win me over, and this is not going to be the thing that tips it, that's for sure. But yeah. weirdly in the same week as this launching, Seinfeld has been dropping some interesting clues at a stand-up gig in response, and I'm talking about the Jerry Seinfeld of the Seinfeld that I'm referring to, he was at a, a show in Boston on Saturday and he responded to a question from the audience and he teased that a re-envisioned finale of Seinfeld could be in the works. Now, in case you've forgotten it, and look, I'll give a spoiler alert, I but also it, it finished in the late 90s, so if you haven't <laughs> caught up on that, that's on you. But basically what happens is someone gets mugged, and the, all the characters of Seinfeld kind of just ignore it. And basically they're, you know, throughout the whole lifespan of Seinfeld, they're known as being completely self-serving kind of pricks when you think about it, mm. who are always into their own interests and they're ignoring the cares and worries of others. And they finally get done for that. So they're taken to trial and then they end up in prison. And that's sort of the season finale or the whole show finale. I actually didn't mind the finale. I thought it was fine, but apparently a lot of people didn't like it. They thought it was bloated and wasn't true to the spirit of, of finale. Anyway, he was asked whether he liked the, the finale and he said, well, I have a little secret for you about the ending, but I can't really tell it because it's a secret. Here's what I'll tell you, but you can't tell anybody. This has been printed everywhere, by the way. Yeah. Something is going to happen that has to do with that ending. It hasn't happened yet. And just what you are thinking about, Larry and I have also been thinking about. So we'll see. Are Larry they going to recreate the Seinfeld finale? And why? Know. Just, I mean, you've got enough money, Jerry. So do you, exactly. Larry David. Why? Yeah. Maybe they're just bored. Jerry. I think they're just bored. Yeah. <laughs> they- I don't know. I don't know what they could be doing. Like, it, it just seems a bit odd, doesn't it? It's like, strange. What? Yeah. But that, that hunger for nostalgia and the the green lighting that's going on for these kind of shows is, is rabid. So... I guess everyone's getting their it. retirement money. Basically, I think <laughs> we're just going. Well, we've got to retire. We've got to uh, got to keep ourselves in the lifestyle to which we are accustomed, and therefore that means we need to do more and more of something old again. And uh, yeah, I feel like maybe 
culturally that desire for nostalgia and that desire for for going backwards in our current age, I, I think maybe it might start to drop away soon. We could get to the end of that bucket, the bottom of it. I feel like people are going to start wanting new ideas and wanting new things that inspire them a little bit more. At least I hope, maybe I'm projecting. I just hope. Well, it's really interesting that you say that this week, the week that the number one show on Netflix is a four-part movie length each part docuseries on David Beckham celebrating a very distinct (laughs) era, the late 90s and the early 2000s, of which nostalgia and our collective memory of pop culture, of sport, of one of the greats, of all of it, is being mm. celebrated. Beckham is one of the best docu-series that's been on TV slash streaming services in years. A lot of people are saying it's the best thing since the Michael Jordan series, The Last Dance. And I did say, Miff, we've got to watch this. And you messaged me mm. late last night and went, oh, God, I don't think you'd realise how long every episode was. Holy hell. It's, <laughs> each episode goes for, what, an hour and a half or something? It's like an hour and 15. It's like basically each is a movie-length episode. If it was a French film, maybe. But it's a, they're all long episodes. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a guy who kicks a ball, and admittedly he was a genius. But, look. I loved the doco and I loved parts of the doco and, and I loved, you know, some of the sporting montages and, and some of the growth and the, the development. But we don't need, what, all up about six hours? If you've missed to get it. the story of <laughs> David Beckham. Like, I just feel like they could have condensed it a little bit. I'm going to condense it. Because I was dying there. Everyone else seems to be loving it, but I was dying. That is too long, absolutely too long. Here's 36 seconds of it, so you can save yourself five and a half hours if you like me and you don't want to watch it. Here's a little taster of what goes on in the Beckham docuseries. Tonight we bring you the story of how David Beckham became a global phenomenon. I never really did well at school because all I ever wanted to do was play football. My manager kept saying, try and keep it under wraps. So we would meet in car parks and that's not as seedy as it sounds. Big smile. It definitely didn't change me. We changed. There's no doubt about that. It's so good. It's sport, it's gossip, it's fashion and particularly bad fashion. It's my coming of age flashing before my eyes, Miff. This is our era. Our era. And again, you know, in looking with 2023 goggles on, you can see how awful it must have been to be a celebrity in those times, Mm. to be under the glaze of the paparazzi and just the relentless pursuit of every detail, every intimate detail of their lives. It would have been absolutely horrible to live that experience. And the best thing about it, though, is, you know, you get intimate footage of the the wedding in their purple outfits. Do you remember that? Especially when you think about Farsh. It's a real royal purple too, isn't it? And there were uh, thrones involved. Yeah, thrones involved. It It was just divine. So I actually loved all those moments. And the moments where Victoria is speaking, I think Victoria Beckham is somebody who is to be deeply admired because she has a sense of humour and a level of intelligence about it all. And I love her disinterest in the actual game of football. She's like, don't, still not really into football, yeah. to be honest, but she supported David the whole way and they go into details of affairs and whatnot, but she seems like an absolute hoot. And he comes across as really lovely too, mm. um, like quite a sweet person who was extraordinarily talented and thrust into this world 
and even though he was one of the greatest footballers of all time, he still got completely and utterly dicked around by every coach that he ever played with. And that was the bit that I found fascinating. He's, he almost was powerless in a world where he was actually the commodity. He was the greatest commodity for them. And yet he had no voice almost. They just treated him like shit, club after club after club. I always find that interesting because, you know, watching, you know, football codes and also any kind of sport, any major sport, uh, basketball as well, players are traded and they're often traded without their consent Mm. or indeed without their want. They've just, you know, they're basically traded like stock. Um, like cattle, and they are paid incredibly well. Like there are millions and millions oh, of dollars involved in 250 this. $250 million is not a small amount. <laughs> the bit where he's talking about whether or not they're going to take the LA Galaxy thing and maybe he'll stay at Real Madrid, and it's just like, I'm pretty sure he's going to LA for 250 mil. But the yeah. thing that I loved about this watching it, and I was watching it with Jeffy, is that Jeffy's a really big football fan, and he remembered all of those games, all of mm. those politics. He was naming every player. I finally got to realise that that half the players that were referenced in that era uh, have been represented by characters on Ted Lasso, like Roy Keane is ah. Roy Kent and all that, like uh, Zidane, all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, that all makes sense to me. But then on the flip side, I was involved in, you know, reading the Who weeklies and the New Weeklies and all those tabloid mm. mags and reading all of this shit. And, again, much like we see on all these kind of looking back docos with the benefit of hindsight – we get a sense of all the stuff that we consumed, like you said, at the time and just what it was like for them internally. So both Jeff and I watching it at the same time, getting something completely different out of it, mm. but learning in this great crossover, I just thought what a what a masterful documentary that just serves such a broad audience yep. while also being compelling until the end. And interestingly, where the Beckhams, unlike other documentaries like this that have been on streaming services – are not producers. I thought they might be because they got total access. And you know what? It does paint them in a pretty good light. You only get to the last episode where David's infidelities and kind of, I don't know, some of the stuff he does where he just like decides willy-nilly without discussing with his wife that he's going to move yeah, to another country and play to another country in a few days. <laughs> it's like, okay, mate. But none of that's yeah. really brought until the last episode, which is interesting. But they weren't producers on this. But it does very much revive... Brand Beckham, and last year David Beckham was roundly, you know, criticised for mm. the again massive multi-million-dollar was it three hundred million dollars deal that he has in representing and promoting Qatar uh, yeah. around the World Cup, and there were a lot of questions about that. Um, and this is a docu series that does a lot to fix some of that ill will towards David Beckham. That's for sure. It's very much a redemption doco. Um, you are going to be fascinated as to who directed it. Do you know? I know, but tell Bang Fam, it's amazing, isn't it? Amazing, Fisher Stevens from Succession. Hugo, Hugo, <laughs> Hugo, the communications executive at Waystar Royco. Hapless Hugo, as I like to call I know. him. And there he was. With a hat on, you never see his face. but You, you hear, hear his, his voice, voice and you're like, I know that voice. And then you see him briefly kind of in shadow and you're like, it's him. It's that guy. Yeah. It's Hugo. I didn't yeah. realise that as well as being an actor, he's won Academy Awards for uh, docos and and been directing and, and producing docos for years. Like mm. he's been really involved. So um, he's a bit of a goat, isn't he? He does it all. He does. He does. No, very, very impressive. Look, I look, I loved it. There was lots in it. Um Needs to be shorter. That was my, <laughs> my usual review with anything, really. Needs to be shorter. 
I really liked as well the bits where it was just focusing very closely on all the footballers' faces. And this is something that I just wanted to do a little side bang because if you don't know that that technique of filming someone face on, usually documentaries are sort of shot as talking heads where mm. you're looking off to the side of the camera and you are answering an interviewer and it's never straight down the barrel. But years and years ago, a brilliant documentarian called... Errol Morris came up with this camera. It wasn't he wasn't showing footage, but he was showing a reflection of his face as the documentarian in the actual lens of the camera. So people were looking down the barrel of the camera mm. and seeing Errol Morris's face asking questions. And his sort of feeling was that he gave it a name called the Interatron, as in like an interrogation machine, which I love. <laughs> but what it does is, as with anything, is you're looking dead into someone's eyes. And they're emoting about, you know, something or reacting to something. It's really hard to conceal those emotions. I think that you've got to have a pretty good poker face to be able to conceal that when you're reacting to something. Mm. And you can really see that. Save for David Beckham, who's had so much plastic surgery and filler, that when he does emote, I'm like, I think I can see a tear. But it's just so frozen. (laughs) So frozen. It's so true. And I've got to say the big winners of this doco was um, teeth enamels. Everyone's had their teeth done. And oh, I loved them. his British teeth at the start, though, before he I had them know. fixed. His little tombstone teeth. <laughs> they were cute. Tombstone teeth. I've never heard that before. <laughs> I love that. A lot of people are talking about some of the highlights of Beckham, and this has got to be one of the actual best moments if we're talking about the um, maybe previously unknown hilarity of Victoria Beckham and just the wonderful back and forth that Posh and Bex have with each other. We're very working class. Be honest. I I am being honest. honest. I am being honest. What car did your dad drive you to school in? So my dad did... No, one answer. My dad... What car is it? It's not a simple answer because... What car did you get your dad to drive It depends. No, 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 no. Okay, in the 80s, my dad had a Rolls Royce. (laughs) (laughs) We are both working class, but my dad drove me to school in a Rolls Royce. And I love that he called her out on it. So good. I fancied him. I just fancied him. They just fancied each other. It was really simple, wasn't it? It was a kind of a simple love in in a simpler time that became very, very complicated. And uh, it was really nice to go back to that earlier footage and uh, of seeing them when they met, you know, meeting in, as we heard before, in car parks and things and getting, stealing five minutes here and there. Getting matching blonde tips, all of it. Totally. (laughs) Frosted tips, that's where it began. It's incredible. I loved reliving it all. Um, It's on Netflix now if you've got it. It is so, so good and you will have to set aside. Watch the highlights. Five and a half hours. (laughs) It's very long. Very, very long. I mean, if you sent a great piece to me this week, which um, really struck a chord, stuff that we talk yeah. about a lot on Bang On, but it feels like Kyle Shaker just nailed it in this piece in The New Yorker. Yeah, it's called Why the Internet Isn't Fun Anymore. And I think that pretty much nails entirely the, the vibe of the piece. And that I think we've all felt this particular draining of social media platforms of mm. late, uh, not of content by people that we know, but just the fact that we don't see content from people that we know as much anymore and there's a lot more advertising. There's an algorithmic change that seems to have happened where content is coming at you but it's not really stuff that you even would want or need anymore um, and and I think that's taken, certainly has for me as, a, as an observer, it's taken the, the joy out of the internet and social media platforms 
for many of us and it's, I don't know, it just makes it a bit of a dull place. All the smaller voices, all the, you know, independent thinkers, that kind of thing that, that I guess made places like Twitter which is now X, of course, a, an interesting place to be. They've all gone. Mm. They've all gone and, and we're getting unverified content from people who've paid for blue ticks rather than established news outlets uh, and, and therefore it just, feels, it just feels a bit darker as well as if you're not entirely sure of the validity of a lot of the information that we're getting online and the types of people that are showcased probably not my kind of people they're the loudest and I think that's why people are now spending much less time on social media platforms than they would have been even six months ago. Yeah it's a dark place and it's also just another place where you feel like you've been pushed into a corner and you're just being sold to, uh, sold so intensely to. It's much more hierarchical than it used to be this is one of the things that sort of calls out and we've seen it happening but it's again like you say these huge creators that are becoming broadcasters and when you think about what Mm. a broadcaster is a broadcaster means one point to many so the internet literally the world wide web as it was called when it first was born was a series of networks where you could just fall down a rabbit hole and keep searching and searching and searching. And maybe this is something that, you know, you don't know if you don't work in content creation like we do, but if I ever posted a link to another source on Facebook... No one ever sees it. No, the algorithm just buries it because they don't want you leaving the platform and this happens on all of the platforms. They just crush that. They want to keep you inside where they can sell to you, where they can get... Um, a cut More of everything. information from you. All yeah. of it. They want to keep you inside the machine. And again, we've talked about it before, but it's just such an irony that the bigger access and connected points that we have, the much more funneled we become. And I think people are getting a little bit jack of it. Also, it's the way boring. that... It's boring. You see you see <laughs> the... You know, I remember when I first started on Instagram and some of the stuff that I put up was like really haphazard and not, you know, just kind of like whatever, I, you know. But now I'm, you know, I'm actively thinking about what I post and that's what happens with everyone, regardless of whether you're a quote-unquote public figure or not. Everyone is forced to perform the role of an influencer in order to get their stuff seen because everybody, even if you're not selling anything, wants to be seen. You know, as a human being, you want to be seen and recognised. And that barrier becomes higher. So fewer people take that risk of posting. And again, mm. we settle into this role as of passive consumers, this broadcast model, which is totally against everything that the internet was first born yeah. of. So in order to create something new, what we've done is actually do that but then revert back to exactly what we know. It's just wild. I mean, it's mm. a it's a great piece. It really captured a lot of the stuff that we talked about in such a we've been talking about for years now. Uh, it's just getting worse and worse. It's kind of a good reminder because I feel like you're sort of in it and you're like, oh yeah, it's cooked. But then you're like, no, it used to be like this and it was better. Twitter is X, whatever it's called. I just don't use it very much anymore and. Mm. I used it a bit this week because the TV show was on and I wanted to take the temperature of what people were thinking, answer questions people had, but it's the first and time no I've been on, there. on it. Yeah, well, it's just like no one's on there. It's weird. Like there was still lots of stuff, but it's just kind of like, oh, it's like it's really different. I haven't engaged with it in this way for so long and it's just really different and it's kind of sad because it used to be a place where something happened and you'd go straight on there. You'd find out the information. And I acknowledge that it's always been a place where getting factually correct information has been a bit of, you know, a pothole area. But now it's like you don't even go on there. You just, like, Mm. it's just an absolute mess. Elon Musk has absolutely cooked it. 
But, yeah, it's a shame that the internet, I don't know what, it's obviously going to keep evolving. AI is going to continue to change things. The weird chatbots that Mark Zuckerberg has got. <laughs> Sam Kerr and Snoop Dogg as a Dungeons and Dragons master. Not like, what's, good, hap- is it? what's happening? What's, where are we now? Yeah, it's not a good place. What, what's I think my it's name? Time to ba- it's time, time to back away from it for a little while. Give them all a rest. Take our power back. And maybe do some silent walking. You shared a great mm. piece with me this week about silent walking, the trend of just not having anything going on, no podcasts, no scrolling while you're walking, nothing in your eyes or ears. It's a revolution myth. It's a revolution for anyone under the age of maybe 30, but for anyone over the age of 30, we just call it walking. Um, And look, lots of people have made jokes about it and been quite patronising about the fact that the young folk are doing silent walking. But they have been... The young folk, they have been brought up in a culture that is 24-7 noise. And, you know, they have earbuds in all the time. Part of life is now very much lived online or through apps. So it's, it's remiss of us or it would be bad of us to judge these kids for making a choice to step back. 100%. Um, so I feel, I feel a bit, I mean, I laughed at it, but I also went, actually, no, this is probably a good thing for them to acknowledge because when you're in something and in a world so deeply ingrained in the way that you live, it's very difficult to back away as we've known with our own experiences with social media. But this is about noise. This is about just getting outside and listening to the birds while you walk and not having a soundtrack. Um, so Apparently, everyone's learning a lot about themselves and the way their brains work, which is, you know, good, both good and bad, I think. Sometimes I I need noise to stay away from my own brain. And I guess it's good to find that out too. I love it. I didn't listen to anything when I was in Japan. I was walking around a lot um, and just kind of wandering and taking in the sights and sounds. I wanted to be connected to the space around me too, but also I just... Well, you'll need to listen for bears when you're on a hike. (laughs) I need to listen for the bears. Bear bells and bears. I heard them, Miff. I heard them. You did. They were cracking the branches. They were ready to crush my bones. (laughs) But that, like, I've been doing it even coming back because just having a few things rolling around in my head and realising that, you know, scrolling and looking at your phone and taking your phone out when you've got to wait a good long five seconds for the pedestrian crossing light to change, all that stuff, it's like it's not good for me and Leaving my phone at home when I go for a walk means that you give, you know, your brain a big chance to breathe. But also, mm. like anything we've talked about before, like it's when you're bored, you're creative or you solve problems and you just let it go. Like you just have all of those little thoughts flooding around and then you give it a chance to sort of let them release where there's no other distractions. And it's just so good. So I'm all for silent walking and I'm as, as guilty as being distracted by all of the technologies as anybody else. So I'm here for silent walking. Yep, absolutely. <sighs> hey, speaking of the internet, we have started filming Bang On. In fact, if you're watching us right now, I'm looking down the barrel of the camera like a real dork and giving you a wave through the round window. There's a reference for anyone <laughs> over 35. Um, play school's still on. Play school's still on. Oh, yeah, it's true. Hey, I've heard a um, theory that if you pick the arch window as your favourite window, then you're mm. queer. Have I ever told you that? So- no, I don't know that theory, but it was my favourite. <laughs> yeah, it's my favourite too. So just throwing it out there if you want to use that at a party for a conversation. But I digress. Bang On is now being filmed in full and is being put up on the ABC Australia YouTube. So That's right. You've been seeing us do little clips on social media 
um, as you scroll and maybe seeing yeah. that pop up. If you want to watch the whole cooked... I mean, goodness, goodness knows why they want to see this in the flesh anyway. I don't know, to be honest. I can't imagine it's all that exciting. But I put my lippy on for it and um, off we go. I think, I think about what I'm going to wear on filming days. I make an effort. Yeah, yeah good. I did too. I put a bit of colour on. <laughs> you look great. A bit of colour for you the YouTubes. Gorge. So if you want to check it out, we will put a link in the show notes. If the show notes are just remain a mystery to you, 260-odd episodes in, mm-hmm. then just go to the ABC Australia YouTube and you'll find us there on the front page. Bang on. Now for your eyes and ears, for better or worse. What are you banging on about this week? Oh, goodness me. A television series I didn't realise had even had a series two, and I loved the first series, which I think I, I banged on about a couple of years ago, which was I Hate Susie, yes. a BB, not a BBC production, a, a UK production that stars Billy Piper as Susie. And Susie is, of course, a, you know, it's, it's actually watching the Beckham documentary. There's a lot of things that were going on in there that plays into this television series. And this was about the way she lived her life and, and the intrusion of the media and uh, just the, the general chaos of being a pop star. And, of course, Billy Piper grew up as a pop star mm. in the UK and had quite an interesting formative experience in that she had a much older partner and they were he was a BBC broadcaster and they were in the news a lot. And I imagine there's a lot in this role that she could probably relate to or at least be able to understand and portray. And this second series is only three episodes and it is phenomenal. It it follows on after she's broken up with her her partner who she has a child with and she's broken up because photographs of her in a very compromising sexual position were leaked to the media and all of a sudden everyone went from loving Susie this UK pop star to absolutely hating her, hence the title. And this is her redemption story, or at least an attempt to, where she's just living the worst possible existence. Uh, she's She has to do a, a, a horrifying Christmas dance show in order to redeem herself. And I, it's like dancing the, with the stars, but like yeah, way worse. <laughs> way worse. And... Um, we thought The Bear, the television series The Bear, was anxiety-inducing. If you've ever worked in television, watch this show for the anxiety of doing a live show like that and just the, the rushing through corridors and everything happening so quickly and people talking to you but not talking at all. And it, I just found it quite extraordinary as a viewer. She's and incredible in this. She is incredible and um, utterly blown away. She's also an amazing dancer too. Mm. I didn't know that about her. I mean, I guess she was a pop star in the 2000s, but she's amazing. She puts everything into this performance and um, utterly blown away by it. And it's really dark. It's really bleak. It's filmed and, in a really bleak way as well. Like it's just yeah. every part of it you feel, yeah, that anxiety. It's consuming, isn't it? Oh, it's horrible. And it's if you'd ever want to be anyone on that level because there's nothing you can do that would make anyone love you in the way that perhaps these complicated and chaotic people want to be loved and oh gosh it was really full on but I loved it it was I was riveted utterly riveted and I think you can probably watch it without having to watch the first series as well yeah I think it's quite standalone and it's only three eps nice and quick nice and quick everyone it's on stand take note tv producers take note I love that every time we review something, you're just like, by the way, here's what I actually want. Yeah, 
Yeah, I ain't got time for 15-part series anymore. You need to get as on much some as, web as series. As much as our creative people would love that, I actually think um, we do need to bring that stuff back a little bit more long form in terms of, you know, g- giving things life. and, and Like bang on allowing, and it's clocking an hour these days. Exactly. <laughs> that allows stories to be told in, in a much more long form way. You know, actors get work, TV people get work, all of that. I'm into it. Script writers get work, but also really enjoy short, sharp, uh, get to the point people. So there's a bit of pot kettle going on here because we did <laughs> yeah. start as a 25-minute podcast and that's completely blown now out of the water. Now we're an hour. But yeah, here now we go. Anyway, yeah. what, are you, what are you banging on about? <laughs> I'm banging on about a book that was released a long time ago that I finally read and I wanted to bang on about this because it's one of those books that you see in every secondhand bookstore or at the library or maybe you've seen the movie and you're like, oh, I should really read this. And what mm. I'm saying is you should really read this. It is The Remains of the Day, the oh. Booker Prize winning 1989 novel by the wonderful British author Kazuo Ishiguro. Now, I read Clara and the Sun just last year, which is the first time I've ever read his work. That was his latest book and I loved it. And so Mm. after reading that and understanding finally what a beautiful writer he was, I was like, I just got to keep reading more of this. I love that book too. Thanks for the recommends. Oh, Clara and the Sun. It's great, isn't it? It's so good. And so have you ever read Remains of the Day? No, I've never read it. You got to read the book. You got to see the wire. So basically it's very much, and I did have Anthony Hopkins had, you know, face in my head and Emma Thompson because they are in the film mm. of the same name that was um, made into a film a few years later. But basically, Stevens, Anthony Hopkins, is a butler. Um, he has a very long, like, lifetime record of service at a place called Darlington Hall. And he's telling the story of his recent employment and his past employment with Lord Darlington, who has since died, as he takes this road trip to visit a former colleague who is the character played by Emma Thompson, Miss Kenton. And as he makes his way through the British countryside, this story unfolds and you learn more and more. And what's the beautiful sort of secret of this film is that, you know, it's a slow reveal. Stevens himself is telling this story and it's like the character doesn't actually know what he's saying. He's the reader, the audience is going, oh, okay, I can see there's something else completely big going on here with the mm. politics of the Lord Art Darlington. That sounds a bit rough, but he is not cognizant of it. And that's the beauty of that, you know, kind of telling his own story without realising its full meaning and its full impact. And, yeah, it's very upstairs, downstairs, the power that goes with that, the things that remain unsaid. You know, I love Downton Abbey and all of the pomp and circumstance of those kind of conversations and this is sort of captured so beautifully in that and also the real shifting of a time this is going through a period through when these kind of grand houses were starting to close down when people who Mm. you know in the late 1800s had staff of you know 30 or 40 people and then as you go towards the 1920s and the 1930s and the 40s these houses still exist but the staff aren't there anymore the people who live in the houses are very different so it's a really interesting and very concise capture of so many things it's a short book and it's just beautiful and the scene at the bus stop at the end is just like one of the most perfect and beautiful pieces of writing I have ever experienced. So Heaven. The Remains oh. of the Day. If you've ever seen it and gone, I should read that, then you should read that. And I want you to read that. That's what I'm banging on about this week. Beautiful. Thank you. And thank you to everyone when I posted about it on my Instagram, which I share lots of book reviews. We're like, you've got to read Never Let Me Go next. I am going to be reading that next. So thank you, Bang Fam. Gorgeous. All right. All I'm right. off to do some silent walking. Great. <laughs> it's called walking. But yeah, go for it. I love how we've got to give everything a name. 
It's how we understand the world. Labels. Yes, that's right. Labels, that's funnels, right. channels, just, you know, conforming. That's how we understand the world, Miff. You know that. Yep, I do. <laughs> I do. Go Look up, look in the trees and look at the birds today. I'll see you Shall next we week. See you next week. Bye, babes. Bang. on.